You have made it to the Psilocybin Podcast with Tales from Elocinia, a unique science-based psilocybin retreat based out of Mexico that not only focuses on brain health and well-being, but actually specializes in pain management. I am your host, Tanya, the medical director. Come along and join us. Jessica, the founder of this retreat, is my co-host as we break down the latest in psychedelic research, news, and the inner workings of this amazing experience. Jay, thank you so much for coming to the show. It's such an honor to hear your part of this story. I've had the opportunity to get to hear you speak about your perspective on this journey. Can you tell the audience a little bit about who you are and what your role is in Elocinia? Certainly. Thank you, Tanya. At Elocinia, I actually deal with a lot of the logistics, planning, coordination for the guests that come to the retreat. But, you know, coming to Elocinia... <laughs> It's a long process on how Jess and I got started into it. My wife, as many of you may already know, has a condition. Basically, she woke up one day with a headache that just would not leave. So at one point, you and your wife had a totally normal life in whatever normal meant to you both. And then one day she wakes up with this headache and everything's different. I mean, she is suffering. She's trying to act normal. She just can't. She's resourceful. She's digging. She's trying everything. Finally, she comes across the Cluster Busters group, which is the group that started leading her towards the idea that psilocybin could be something for her. So she starts using psilocybin. What was it like for you to watch her in the beginning at that time? Well, I mean, the first time when she tried it, and that was the one moment where she said, at least during the experience itself, she was not in pain from her headache. You know, this is months, if not almost a year of just constant headache. She woke up with it in the morning and it was there till the moment she fell asleep. And that was the one moment in those four to six hour time frame where she didn't have the actual pain. And that was remarkable because when you have a pain condition, which is something I learned later on, it, it changes your personality. Seeing her personality change in those moments, because you know Jessica went through some dark times there, where she wasn't sure if she would end up on disability. She wasn't sure if she could do her work. You know, I wasn't sure on how to manage my work, and you know, have to be able to be there for her at the same time without really knowing what I can do to help. Those are tough times and it affects your family, affects your marriage. So you feel like you're stuck in this phase on what can you do to help your spouse at the same time to have some sort of a normal life kind of a thing. For a while, we wasn't clear if that was possible for either one of us. So that essentially transformed into this new life with this retreat, which you know, before her condition, it, it was nothing that even would cross our minds as a dream kind of a thing, of a possibility of a future for us in that sense. But the amazing thing about Jess was she's pretty resourceful, and she started looking into options, and she came across, eventually, a support group that used psilocybin for treatment of their cluster headaches. does not, not have cluster headaches herself but some of the symptoms mimicked what cluster headaches do. And she, when she read more about psilocybin and its impact, 
and she decided to try it, that's when she realized the benefits of it. Based on her personality, she's the type where like, this is something that's out there. It works. Other people need to know about it. And there are retreats that work with psilocybin, but they don't focus on pain conditions. And a lot of times they are very spiritual based, but Jess and I were what we would call complete skeptics. What she found was a lot of the new age places that do it for more either spiritual purposes or more recreational purposes, you know, not as a treatment. And she knew as a skeptic, if she came to those websites, it would turn her, her off. There are so many people that are looking for that scientific focus and are looking for something, not like a one and done type of thing, a place that can support them long-term wise as well. And, and they're going to be turned off by the things that are out there. And then they won't even try psilocybin and they're going to struggle and they're going to suffer. And that's how the retreat basically was born, where just wanted to create a safe space where people, both spiritual and non-spiritual people, could come together in a place that did focus on the science aspects of psilocybin. The people are still there, that are there to help them and guide them in the future. Now, it started out as we've done these retreats over time, we've realized it's not just the people with medical conditions. It's a lot of people who have a fear of psilocybin or just they don't know who they can talk to about it or connect with. I mean, the biggest thing we do now at the retreat is this community we create for people to have an avenue to talk to others. It becomes very hard to talk to your normal friends that haven't done psychedelics because the conversations change. That's we true. have these in-depth conversations, philosophical conversations, you know, deep physics and conceptual things. It wasn't something that I was really open to at the beginning because it's like, Okay, there is something out there, but it's not necessarily legal in most places. You know, why is that? I'm a, I'm a lawyer. So that's something I question. It's like, it's not legal. There's got to be a reason why it's not legal. Because we know there are a lot of prescription drugs out there with a lot of side effects, which are problematic for people. Yet we also know that doctors prescribe those on a routine basis to their patients. So if there is something out there, which may not even necessarily have those negative side effects, that a lot of prescription drugs do, why is it not being prescribed? Why is it a Schedule One narcotic, as we call it in, you know, in the legal field? I researched the legal aspect of it and learned about the history of you know, how it was turned into Schedule One, and that's a really long conversation. But long story short, I realized there's, there's a lot of political aspects to it. There's a lot of other things on why it became a Schedule One as opposed to being something that's more readily acceptable and available. So early on, you said that in the ER, you would watch her and she had personality changes as most people do with these chronic conditions. And so they're a little bit more short tempered because they're suffering so acutely. And then you watched her in the psilocybin experience and she would soften a little bit, relax a little bit. And, and, and so you started to believe in this or at what point did you say this is really a thing? You know, she had to follow a certain, what we call course, where she had to take a certain dose every week for a certain period of time. And the changes initially were actually quite immediate. Just she smiled and hadn't seen her smile in a very, very long time. You know, and that's, that's tough because just loves to smile. Because you know your spouse before the headache started. So, you know, people that met her wouldn't know that. But I knew that and, you know, family knew that kind of a thing. So, you know, when you see those changes and you see 
that person revert back to the person you knew that you fell in love with, that personality that had been subdued because of all the pain coming out again. And just seeing that personality starting coming out again was like, oh, look, I'm getting my wife back, you know? So initially, yes, yeah, and when it started happening and, the, you, you know, you're really scared that first, is this going to work? And second, if it does work, is it going to last? Because now you've seen all three sides. You've seen what your wife was like before the conditions. You've seen what she was like with the condition. And now that you're seeing improvements, you know, thanks to the effects of the psilocybin, there's this fear because you don't want her to go back to her dark side or in a dark place again. Until you've done psychedelics yourself, it is very hard to explain the experience to another person who has never done them. So she's telling me all these things and, wow, this is remarkable, but it doesn't make any sense to me. You know, like, I don't understand. She's like, I can't really explain it. You have to try it to kind of know it. And I'm like, well, I just sound like any other person selling drugs. So it's a combination of the movie Matrix where it's like you take this blue pill or the red pill and it'll open the world up to you. And it's like, yeah, this is just Hollywood BS kind of a thing. You know, it's like, you know, what do you mean you can't explain it? You know, you can speak, give me the words. She's like, the words can't describe it. And she would try initially, like, it sort of has this impact over time where it changes you. And well, I like the fact that it changed you back to your personality that way you were, but what do you mean it changes you? I'm like, well, I feel good. I feel fine. I don't need to be changed. Like, you know, what's the purpose? Because I still looked at it as initially as just something you take if you have a condition to treat, just like any medication, you know. Now that I've learned the benefits of it, even if you're perfectly fine, the benefits you get out of it as a person from your own psyche and your growth as a human being. But none of that initially was known to me. I just looked at it as like, here's the medication. I don't know exactly why it works. I don't know exactly why it's not legal, but it does certainly work on her and it seems to work on a lot of other people. But it's for people that have something that they need to fix. And I don't really feel I have something they need to fix. So I don't really need to do it. And when she said it changes you, it scared me. I was like, what do you mean it changes you? I feel fine. I really don't need to be changed. And uh, I'm fortunate enough that I don't have a medical condition that requires something in that aspect of it. So she's like, no, it changes you for a better person. Now, over time, I've done psychedelics a number of times. So I now finally can grasp what she was trying to tell me. Well, what was the tipping point, Jay? What did she finally say that convinced you that it was time to try it yourself? You want to relate to your spouse at certain levels, you know? You want to kind of, you know, you experience the joys and the pains together. So she was having these euphoric moments and I was sort of missing out. And I felt like, wow, I don't want to miss out on these things. Like, I am so curious. My guy's never done anything illicit ever. I mean, in college, maybe I drank a little bit of alcohol and I wasn't 21 just yet. But even then, like I said, it was sort of like having a glass of wine, having a beer or something like that. I'm Indian. So from a cultural point of view, it's sort of built in. I grew up in, in the 80s, back in the era of the don't do drugs, or this is the brain of drug commercials. Drugs are bad. There's something wrong with them, and they do something bad to you. So getting past that threshold, just looking at her, seeing what she was going through and saying, you know, I kind of want to know what this is like. And then the second part of it came when I saw her talking to other people who've also taken psilocybin and how they could sort of connect with each other and relate to it. That made me sort of jealous as to like, I really want to be part of this conversation. I want to be able to discuss this thing and see what everybody's talking about. They can't describe it. Heck, maybe I can describe it if I try it, you know? Maybe oh. I can do a better job. 
Maybe I can do a better job. Maybe it's my ego kicking in a little bit to say, you know, look, they can't describe it. Let me give it a crack. Maybe I can describe it better so other people know what it's like. Yeah, so interesting. And so you were actually thinking maybe I could actually explain it. That was part of your tipping point. That's so interesting. So can you tell us a little bit about the day that you tried it for the first time? <laughs> right. It just took some steps because I was pretty fearful too because when you can't describe what's going to happen to you, you're like, so I would ask questions like, well, does it, is it like alcohol? Or do you feel drunk? And Jessica would be like, no, it's nothing like that. You don't feel drunk. You're not in the influence of something where there's like memory lapses or blacking out or anything like that. You remember everything. You remember everything clearly. So I'm like, that's so weird. So you don't feel like you're under the influence of some sort of substance, you know. It's like, okay, was it like, you know, marijuana? Because I have tried that, you know, at least two times. No, it's not like that either. I'd also seen her take it a number of times as well. So in some ways, from at least a visual point of view, I could physically see. And it was a lot of just sort of laying there. I'm like, I don't know, maybe I'll just dream or something. But she told me how you perceive things changes and you might hallucinate or see things that aren't all necessarily there. Things of that nature. I didn't know what to make of that aspect of it. You know, when I think of hallucinations, it's like a movie, see a ghost or something. I expected something of that nature. So the morning of, like the psilocybin, and at first, I'm just sort of sitting there and not much is happening. And I'm like, you know, I feel normal. I feel fine. And then I started feeling a little bit of chills, just kind of cold, like you need a blanket. And then things in the room just seemed very uh, clear. <laughs> I call it like seeing in 3D, even if you all see in 3D, obviously. But it's sort of like you're almost looking at things with like binoculars or something. So the walls of the room seem much more crisp and clear. And then I had sort of a difficult experience or a challenging experience where I saw what I thought was my cat. And I thought the cat was, you know, like meowing and sitting by the bed. Except the color of the cat I was looking at was orange. And I don't have an orange cat. I'm like, you know, that's okay. Uh, I'm looking at my cat and it's orange for some reason, but yeah, that's not a big deal. And I'm saying here, kitty, kitty, I'm calling it by its name. And, and Jessica looks at me, she's like, the cat's on the other side of the room. So, so then I look over and I do see the actual cat on the other side of the room. So I'm like, if, if my cat is over there, on the other <laughs> side of the room, then what is this thing on my bed? And that caused a real freak out moment in that moment right there, because all of a sudden, you know, this cat I was looking at the, on my bed was extremely real in all sense of the word. You know, it, it wasn't an aberration. It's not a ghost. It doesn't look like it's some sort of anomaly or something that, you know, you can see through. It's full on physically my cat you know like it is something there i've never had that where something that i'm seeing with my own eyes that is in front of me and it's not actually there and it's not a dream fully awake jessica could tell from my eyes like oh something's wrong what's going on so she's like what are you thinking what's happening and the only word that could i could put out of my mouth was dread i feel dread and i've never used that word and that's the only word sort of popped up in my head and jessica sort of guided me through the process and eventually things were fine so through, through that first experience, just, it was nothing I anticipated. It felt like everything was coming from within, which is a very unique experience where you feel things are coming from you rather than happening to you. 
So you had that experience, and so you had a, a difficult time still explaining it, because originally you were like, I think I'm going to have this capacity to explain it ever uh, a little bit better. But you do have some good metaphors, because I know going back, reminding the audience that you did feel like you couldn't be changed, that there was nothing that needed to be changed. How did you feel then after? Right. So I tried psilocybin so multiple times after that, and I had some amazing euphoric experiences. For my initial experience, I can only describe like what was happening, but not the the emotional components of it. I had the same tongue-tying effect where, you know what, I can't explain it. Recently, William Shatner went up to space. And, and I don't know if William Shatner has done psychedelics or not, but he was describing the experience of going to space. And he was using very colorful, poetic language in doing so. And I was watching this interview and I'm like, you know what? He is literally describing a psychedelic experience. And I can completely relate to what he's saying. And I don't think I would be able to relate in the way I'm relating to it now listening to him had I not done my psychedelic experience before. On the, the change aspects of it, I, I describe that differently. I'm a guy who likes to hike. I like going up mountains. It's, it's sort of my way of meditation because I'm not a you know, meditator by any means from a traditional sense. People describe when I mean, they go up to Everest and then they, they come back down. They're a changed person. It's changed the perspective. It's changed the way they look at others, look at their own life, look at the experience itself. Climbing Everest is an experience. And when you come back down, the profound experience that you've had in going through it has had an impact on you that has changed you. You are still exactly the same person that climbed up the mountain and climbed back down. So in that sense, you are not changed. You grow as a person. Those experiences have a profound impact on you and they change you. And I think that you make you a better person because it expands your horizons and it makes you more elastic in, in some senses. One of my experiences involved this moment of clarity where I was looking at an emotion almost like a, a physical inanimate object of some sort. Like so if I could take sadness and it was like a ball, a physical ball, and I could put it on the table and say, well, there's sadness. I could take happiness, and here's a ball of happiness, and I could put it on a table and next to sadness, and I could take fear, turn it into a ball, and put it next to happiness. That'd be three balls of three emotions. I could physically grab a ball, bring it to me, and feel those emotions. So I could take happiness, bring it to me, and feel a sense of complete euphoric joy, and then put it back on the table. And I could take fear and physically grab it, bring it to me, and put it back. So having this complete control of emotion to me, emotions are all those things that sort of get the better of you, not the other way around. Like they lead you, you don't lead them. So just having that grasp over an emotion was not only a pure sense of power, but it was just like, wow, you can actually do that. You can take an emotion if you're going through something and actually separate it out from you and manipulate it and kind of hold it and be able to analyze it and experience it and watch it and then put it away or bring it up to you. And yeah, it only lasted about 10 minutes that I was able to do that. But it was an amazing feeling to think about and mentally think of them that way. It was sort of an amazing realization. And, and that's some of the things I find so amazing about psychedelics. Like I said, it's not just for people that have some sort of condition that they're trying to treat or not treat. It, it has such expansion. The, the way you look at your personalities, the way you look at other people and their personalities. And... Just like the person who climbed Everest and came back down is the same exact person and had the same past experiences before Everest and will have other experiences post-Everest. 
but the experience of climbing the Everest is also now a part of their vocabulary. It's a part of who they are as a person. So that's what I mean by the change. It adds something, it doesn't take it away. One of the ways it changed me is before psychedelics, I never knew or understood why people like to meditate, why they wanted to go do yoga and why did they do these breathing exercises? It made no sense to me. You would not find me within 10 feet of a meditation or yoga studio. I never understood that concept, but I get it now. I'd like to take you back, Jay, because I want to kind of get back to how the concept of Elocinia was born. Okay, so she has this conceptual idea of Elocinia, and you've already luckily tried psilocybin. So there's a part of you that's probably simultaneously going, you're right, there does need to be a place. Were you on board right away? And did you believe in yourself as a, as a couple, as a team, enough to know that you could pull this off? <laughs> well... I was on board with the idea that people need to know about this and how do we get this information out to them? You know, training wise, I'm a lawyer and knew nothing at that point about running a retreat. We're fortunate to have all of you all as a team that we created and brought the expertise in, in that aspect of it and what you all do specifically as it relates to, you know, your profession. You're a nurse, obviously we knew we wanted to bring somebody with a medical background to the retreat. Psilocybin works, but that doesn't mean it's easy to take it. Climbing Everest is hard. It is remarkable what you come through after, but nobody comes down and says, you know what? Let's do that again next week. You know, not one that just came down. Sadly, with psilocybin, for some people, they do have to do that the following week or the following month or the following two weeks. And even people who climb Everest don't want to climb it in the next three months either. It is a tough journey. And use of psilocybin for many people can be a tough journey and it can be an extremely joyous journey. Just like climbing Everest can be tough and joyous at the same time. And reaching the pinnacle is extreme joy for those people. I like that example so much because it sort of encompasses so many things. It encompasses the toughness that you need to get up there. The journey is yours. You climb Everest on your own. We're just there to guide you through it, help you through it. That, that's what happens with psilocybin too. It is still your journey. Everybody loves the visuals. And that's what we discuss with friends because it's easy to explain sometimes. The emotional stuff is very hard to explain. You, you ask why have you started it? You know, I'm an attorney by trade and I enjoy what I do, but I gravitate towards what I do for the retreat because of the people we meet. I mean, we all have our circle of friends. And I think most of us will realize that the people we hang out with, the people we do things with, it's a pretty narrow group. You don't get to meet people with this diversity, not only just in age and race and gender, but the diversity of experience. That's what I love about it. I get to meet people from all walks of life and of all ages, and I get to learn from them. And I would never in my normal course of doing what I do ever run into these people in my own life. Like that would never happen. And not, and only, that, you know. not, not only that, it's interesting because you've never even been to a retreat before creating Elysinia <laughs> and you're an attorney by trade and Jessica is a gemologist by trade who also has never even been to a retreat. W looking back at what you guys have created, are you super shocked at how dynamic the evolution has become born from such an interesting reason for bringing it into your life. I mean, what is it like for you to look back at what you created? I mean, I bet you Gosh. never would have thought you yeah, could that, have done that's it. That's a great, I mean, that's a great question. And when you say I'm super shocked, I'm still being shocked. 
one of the first things I tell people at the retreat when they get there is like, I meet people here who are extremely just energetic and excited. There are people here who are just scared to death. And, you know, I look back to say, they put all this faith and trust in us. And I look back and could I do that? The tables were turned. Like if, you know, if I was going to this retreat in Mexico, not knowing anything about these people that run it. And a part of me was like, no, I don't think I can do that. That's some scary stuff. You know, like who are these people? But the part of me also knows when I saw my wife and what she was going through, that's like, yeah, you know what? I need to go. I need to do what I need to do to see what I can do for her. So I know why they come. And, and like I said, I'm shocked at the team we have and how well we all work together and how we bring different things to it, different perspectives, different way of, you know, of looking at how things should be done or looked at. And yeah, this, you know, it's, I laugh at it because in a way, like when Jessica had her condition, like it was such a negative thing. Like this is going to ruin our lives in some sense if not just outright, you know, kill us in some ways, you know, especially with her to like, we have this life, which I couldn't even dream about. Like, as I'm an attorney, I'm a professional. I mean, you're Indian, you become either a doctor, a lawyer, or engineer. Never in a million years, it will be like, you know what? I want to create the retreat. And when she started getting these messages from people and I started seeing all this hope in them, especially after they've been to the retreat and what they tell us when they go back home and, what they write to us and what they communicate to us, that there is something good happening that we are capable of providing. That makes me emotional in that sense. Part of me going into law, this whole idea of changing people's lives was there. And sadly, as a kid, you're sort of aspirational that way. And you see the TV shows and you read the Supreme Court decisions, all these things that affect people's life. And you get into law because of that. And then reality hits you. I'm a corporate lawyer and I'm good at what I do. But at the end of the day, my job in representing my clients is just actually representing pretty well-established people that I'm helping from a legal point of view, but I am not changing their lives in the dynamic way that this retreat does. Yes, I change people's lives, but not in the way I intended being a kid going to law school. Most of the lawyers out there, whether they're criminal or civil lawyers, handle cases and and it makes you very jaded. And every time we do these retreats, it sort of reels me back in to the the goodness of people, which, you know, as a lawyer, you're trained to be very defensive and very questionable. My whole life involves not trusting people and not trusting things. And I'm trained to do that, trained to question everything constantly. In a way, that's been great for the retreat because we question everything and we continue to do that. And as the retreat evolves, we still continue to always question things and challenge ourselves. Just like law, you need evidence. We spend a lot of time looking at the research that comes up with psychedelics because that's where the evidence comes from. You don't have to believe me. You can read about it. You don't have to believe any of our team members. You can read about these things from actual studies, there's more investigation being done and there's a lot more to discover. The retreat has sort of opened my eyes. Like I said, not only do I get to meet people from all walks of life, all ages, all experiences, and have these amazing conversations and just amazing emotions. You can't get that anywhere else. You know, that's where I'm lucky. 
to be part of it. Well, well, thank you, Jay, so much for going into all that detail of your perspective on how it was created, what you get from it now, and just that whole story and evolution. We're so grateful to you and Jessica in, in your original unique vision. And I am 100% a believer in everything that Ellisonia can do because of who stands behind it. So thank you so much for nice. coming to the show. Thank you. Good talking to you again. Thank you so much for listening. We have this free, amazing guidebook for you. So go on over to elocinearetreat.com and pick up the 16-page downloadable PDF Elocinea guest guidebook. Every single one of our guests gets this guidebook when they arrive to an Elocinea retreat, but this is now made available to you as a PDF. It's really important to have this on hand. It walks you through how and why and techniques to move through your psychedelic experience.